They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole we found. And I was thinking, Hi, this is Nico. You're listening to my dad or fall, also known as the White Rabbit and James Jardine on the one and only Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. Buckle up and enjoy. Alrighty, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, welcome down the security rabbit hole to another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is Raf, and I am joined by the Jameses. Uh, this is going to be a this is going to be a fun episode because they're not going to have any idea who I'm talking to. Uh, first, the co-host James. What's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm I'm in, uh, I'm not enjoying as much the the freeze that came through. We're we're, we're both wearing hoodies today. It's overnight. Th- it was 13 degrees outside overnight, and I can officially say no, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. There's some water outside that's uh, that's frozen. If you had it in wheelbarrows or anything like that, there's an icy layer on top at least. Oh man, Ooh, <laughs> down down in your way. And uh, all right, uh, this episode is going to be uh, part of that uh, leadership series that I that I. Uh, Promised you guys last year we'd start, and, we, and we've gotten a couple people in. I uh, I am absolutely stoked to have on the show uh, the one and only Mr. James Beeson, uh, who I met a million years ago in the land far away of of, of GE Land, and uh, yep. kind of kept tabs on. And I will tell you guys, if you're listening, if you're looking for somebody to model a CISO career after, it, it's going to be harder uh, hard to, to do better. Uh, Mr. James Beeson, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, hey, I, I, I too am uh, suffering through the freeze and have my pullover on. It's about 15 <laughs> degrees here in Texas, which is pretty unusual for that, for uh, for me. But uh, looking forward to the conversation this morning. We, we've said sure. that two years in a row now, because I remember last year uh, I was at Extra Hop still, and we had our sales kickoff uh, in, in, in the DFW at the uh, Galleria there in Wessonville. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, it, it snowed and it, it had iced over and we couldn't leave the hotel. Like we had, couldn't do any of our events. The hotel was running out of food and more importantly, uh, uh, liquid sustenance uh, and all sorts of things were going wrong. So I'm hoping that cross my fingers doesn't have, th- this is all gone in like a week when I get back there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me, me too. It's supposed to warm up this afternoon. Thank goodness. Cause I've no, had about all the uh, 10 degree weather I can take and my swimming pool doesn't like it either. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I've got the four more day, four or five more days of this. So, all right, let's start with this. Um, how did, how did you get into a, a security leadership role? Like how did, did you, was it an accident? Did you, did you know you wanted to be a CISO? Like how did you get there? Yeah, it was absolutely an accident. Uh, and if you had asked me, uh, you know, 20, uh, 25 years ago, I would have, wouldn't have told you I'd be in security for sure. So, uh, you know, I cut my teeth at a company called Trinity Industries here in Dallas. This was pre-GE. I spent about eight years there and sort of did a variety of uh, information technology things, ran the help desk, ran Cat5 cables, uh, you know, configured uh, telephone switches, all that good kind of stuff, infrastructure-related stuff. At the point that I left uh, Trinity, 
I was uh, called the technical services manager, <laughs> right? And sort of in charge of most things infrastructure. I went up from there to GE, as you're aware, because that's where you and I first met, uh, yep. and uh, started at GE in 1997 as an infrastructure leader. And my job was to help consolidate. You know, we had done all this acquisitioning and we had acquisition. We had probably done 30 or 40 acquisitions, and they were looking for someone to come in and help consolidate that, get away from having 30 or 40 help desks, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, long story short, in, and so I lived up in the Northeast in Connecticut and was looking for a way to get back to Dallas, closer to the family, closer to my parents and that sort of thing uh, in, in late 1999. So I went in and asked my boss, Kathy Lane, who was the CIO at the time. I said, Kathy, I love working for GE, but I really need to figure out how to get back to Texas in the Dallas area. Uh, and at that point, I probably had 70 people working for me, maybe a $30 million budget, I don't know, some, somewhere in that neighborhood. And so she said, let me see what I can find. They looked around. Of course, there were no big enough roles. There was no executive band roles uh, in Texas at the time. And then one day she came walking in my office and she said, James, what, what do you know about security? Uh, and I said, well, you, I, I said, you mean the ACF uh, two, the RAC or the RAC F uh, guys that are uh, do the identity and access management? Is that what you're talking about? Because of course they work work for me. And she said, Well, no, it's a little broader than that. This is in 1999, right? Uh, and she said, You know, GE Gary Reiner, who was a big global CIO, you may remember that. Oh name. yeah. Gary, oh, yeah. Gary decided that GE needed to start paying attention to this thing called internet security because we were at that point we were giving out PCs and we were putting up websites, and so Kathy said, "Look, here's the deal. You know, if Gary asked us to take an EBAN from each of our big businesses and have them build out a security program, if you're willing to take that on, I will relocate you to Texas." Um, she said, the bad news is that you're going to go from, you know, 70 people, probably another hundred contractors and a $30 million budget to four people, including yourself and almost no budget. <laughs> you've got a, you've got a guy in Tokyo, a guy in Cologne, Germany, and a, a lady in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and that's your team and you need to build out a program. So that's how I stepped in security, which was early 2000, actually, by the time I took that role on. Uh, we cleared Y2K, the world didn't end, and I stepped into this new role. And the same thing was happening across all GE. Uh, so there were other you know, folks like myself who'd been asked to step in for different GE businesses and create a security team, right? So we wrote the very first GE security policy, and you know, I can remember working with uh, all sorts of folks, including folks like uh, Carolyn Bardani and others, yeah, right? we Carolyn. built out and were and we built the first program. You know, and slowly over time, over the next twenty-year career or eighteen of the twenty at GE, uh, I built out the security program and effectively became the CISO, if you will, right, nice. for uh, various GE capital businesses, and spent the the next uh, you know. 18 years doing that, right? And then just to finish awesome. that out, right, then in 20, in 2015, right, um, yeah, you may remember uh, Mr. Immelt at the time, the CEO, came and called all of us up at GE Capital and said, hey, sorry, guys, we're getting out of the capital financial business. 
We're selling off uh, 500 of the $600 billion worth of assets. Uh, good luck, you know. And so at that point, I, did, I made an agreement to stay on uh, and help GE through the sale of those $500 billion worth of assets. And then GE uh, very kindly retired me, right? So I retired <laughs> technically with GE uh, in 2017. Uh, I try to tell the story of I was retired for a complete weekend because it just so happened my last day was on March 30th, and that was a Friday. Uh, Cigna started me, didn't want to start me on a Saturday, so they started me on the, 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 the 3rd of April, and so I had one full weekend as a retired. Oh, that's so an that, that's awesome I got story. Into security. <laughs> that's an awesome story. You know, I, I, there is no greater uh, testament to – uh, somebody's credibility than a company coming to you and, and, and not like a fortune 2000, like a, like a fortune 20 company coming to you and be like, Hey, I know you plan on golfing and spending some time in your pool, but hear me out. I want you to go like, I want you to go back into this thing for a minute. Um, that, that's a, that's a, that is a story. Uh, that, that is a story. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you know, I had, I, I, to be honest, I had no real intention of taking on another operational CISO role. I was going to go and, you know, do some teaching, a little speaking on the speaking circuit, you know, I don't know, write a blog, I don't know, whatever, right? Uh, but as I was telling my friends and coworkers across the environment that, hey, I just retired with GE, let me know if you've got some projects. A gentleman, you may or may not know this uh, gentleman, Eric Reed, right? Eric Reed. Uh, was the CTO at GE Capital for many years, right? Okay. He had gone over to Cigna in about 2015. I'm not exactly sure what year, but when after after Jeff announced the sale of most of Capital, and I te I texted him and he called me within 10 seconds. Man, he was like, "Oh my God, James, we've been looking for a CISO at Cigna for like 14 months. You know, you've at least got to fly up and talk to us." You know. And so they conned me into flying up there and I sat down and talked to the CEO of Cigna, David Cordani, who really is the one at the end of the day, he's the reason I took, took the job. He honestly is. I mean, Eric, Eric was great too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but when I sat down and talked to David, you know, first of all, I had, I had never had a CEO pay enough attention to security. You know, most of the time they're like, what security guy? I want nothing to do with that. And David spent 45 minutes or an hour with me. We talked about personal things. We talked about what he was concerned about. Uh, and we talked about the mission that the Cigna company has, which really is to, you know, help improve the health and well-being of those we serve at the end of the day. So there's, it's a very mission-based uh, company, which I loved about it. So anyway, that's that's what signed me up for the job. And I spent seven years uh, at Sigma and just retired. Uh, I don't know, what is that? 17 days ago now. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured uh, once you did that, I was like, all right, I saw that. I was like, I got to get him on the show because he's got to tell a story. So let me let me ask, um, by the way, that that's fantastic. That That is, uh, for those of you guys listening that, that are either in the seat or want to get in the seat, that is career goals right there. Um, you know, having the CEO personally spend time with you as, as, uh, and, and try to convince you to come over that, and, and not to be the scapegoat. <laughs> That's the key, right? Like you actually exactly. had important value there. Um, what was the starting out with three plus one getting into, I imagine you had a, you, you had a couple of, a uh, couple of people working under you by the time you were done at, at GE and then over at Cigna, you, 
Uh, I imagine the org isn't small. Um, what was that journey like? And, and give me some of the high points that you think, uh, how, how'd you build that? Because uh, that's something a lot of us struggle with. You, you, you know, because you start, you go to a new company, like, hey, we're going to do the security thing. You're like, uh, yeah, but I want a $10 million budget and 100 people. They're like, how about one person and uh, $10,000, right? How about that? Um, How did you navigate that? And what were some of the the more challenging aspects of of that? Sure. Well, uh, let me spend, I'll spend 60 seconds on GE and then move to Cigna where I can probably uh, a little fresher in my my old aged memory here. At GE, and and you, you know some of this, right? GE was very decentralized in terms of the structure of security uh, at least it was when I was there. I can't really now talk to it now, but it was very decentralized. So although there was a corporate security function, uh, it really, at the time I started, it, or you know, at the, at the beginning of the journey, it really wasn't very large and there wasn't a lot of core central services, although that built up over time. Uh, so, you know, we kind of had these back-end shared services so think of things as simple as antivirus, right? Well, antivirus, it's silly to have 14 different solutions. You can have one and you can use that as a shared service across the gigantic GE footprint all over the globe. But at the application level, you really need to have that be much more decentralized because every one of the businesses does different things, has different approaches to uh, development, has different, they're in different businesses. So even the risks right, associated are very vary. Uh, some of them are common, but there's a lot that are different. So, you know, I think we really worked to kind of have this hybrid model where we had local support for some of the services that uh, security would provide. And then we would rely on those big central services for core things like antivirus and, and that sort of thing. Uh, let, let me, and so that was kind of how we were structured, right? We did have a BSO. I know that's kind of a common term. Um, you know, we did have uh, business information security folks, right, that sat out at the various sub-businesses and were kind of the trusted advisor for that sub-business, help them navigate the services as well as help them understand what their security risks are like. Coming into Cigna, let me jump over to Cigna now, right? So when I when I started at Cigna, actually pretty, uh, I mean, okay size team, but relatively small. So Cigna um, you know, we, we were at that time, we were making 40, 44 billion. Please don't hold me to these numbers, 44 billion dollars. And, and we were largely in the insurance, you know, medical insurance business was largely what the business unit was. And we had 70 or 80 people uh, working in the information security space. Uh, the budget was growing. And the way this is the way I tell the story, I'll, I'll give the quick story here. Um, in 20. 15, you all may remember, there was a breach, uh, the Anthem breach. So Anthem, a, a huge provider, had a pretty massive breach, like hundred mil- hundreds of millions of records. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, and hopefully uh, nobody will uh, smack me for saying this uh, on the air here, but I kind of call that, uh, you know, Cigna's, uh, lovingly call that Cigna's oh shit moment. You know, oh shit, you know, shit something like that <laughs> could happen to us. Uh, we should start paying closer attention and build out a stronger program, right? And then hey, about 12 months later, I came on board in early 2017. That was at the end of 2015. And so we began to 
build out a program. We rewrote the policies uh, to follow a standard framework, NIST, pretty common uh, framework. And then we began to build out a program across the Cigna to expand across all of the areas of the NIST framework. Uh, we focused first, uh, to, uh, and again, I'm just giving you high-level stuff here. We focused first on, uh, you know, detect and respond, right? Because that's easier to implement. If for no other reason, it's uh, easier to implement that than it is the identify and protect pieces. Uh, and uh, you know, slowly built that out over time. I mean, there, there's we've got, uh, you know, I mean, literally, I'm not going to go into any details here, but hundreds of people uh, at this point in the, you know, in, in the, the Cigna team is a very large team. Uh, some of this, though, too, just to get more directly to your question, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, is you really have to push hard to try to drive and create a cyber, what I call it is the cyber savvy workforce. Now, that starts with the security team and then kind of moves to the technology team. But really, if you've got a, if we've got 100,000 people roughly at Cigna, that's contractors and full-time employees. They need to be cyber savvy because that's the only chance you've really got at, at to helping protect uh, yourself is to try to create a cyber savvy workforce. How much have you seen that change over the year? I mean, starting from way back pre-2000, you know, in where security didn't really even exist to now, you know, I think we talk about this a lot, that, that difference between security does it all to, hey, we really need the rest of the workforce to have a portion of this. Not that it's everybody's a security person or, you know, however you want to name it, but where do you see that switching happen to where it's less focused on it's all the security's responsibility and, hey, look, everybody, there's a part of their job that has some security relation to it that they have to mm -hmm. be kind of predisposed to. Sure. Uh, thanks, James. So, so uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to figure in my head, I, you know, I think that's still changing, right? But I think it began to change somewhere in the early 2000s. Uh, if I was guessing at a date, I would put it at around 2005, something like that, where it became clear, right? We began to see phishing, for example, become a major threat, right? Where before that, uh, you know, it was still more, you know, I'm gonna, the backroom hackers, you know, hacking exploitable things that were out there, right? And, you know, as email became more and more prominent and everybody used email to live their lives, which we're all doing, and you think about that, that all sort of began to happen more radically uh, from say 2000 to 2005, guess what? The bad actors said, well, geez, why bother, uh, learning all this sophisticated technical stuff when I can just send somebody who's not paying attention a link and have them click on it and download it for me. So I kind of think it was somewhere between 2000, 2005, but it began to change, right? At that point, I think most security teams, uh, and I would say ours a little bit too, I, I hate to say that, but I, you know, the security people were seen as the police. Oh, those damn security people. Holy crap, they've stopped me from doing yet another thing I need to go deliver for the business, you know. And it wasn't until, you know, that shift began to happen in the early 2000s that I think people began to realize, hey, you know, this is really 
you know, as the old saying goes, every, security is everybody's responsibility. It's really everybody's responsibility. And the data shows us today super clearly. I just saw a report, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, about 85% of the problems we have are still start with somebody doing something stupid. A lot of times a phishing uh, link. And only about 15% of the major incidents that we have have to do with some back-end hacking capability. It's still largely, you know, why bother when, when you can get the human to, to, to click on something? So I do think that's when it began to change, um, you know, and we had began to have to focus and say, hey, look, we're just your trusted advisor here. We want to tell you about what the risks look like, and then we want to help make you aware through training, education, awareness about what to look up, look out for so that you don't get bit by this and you help uh, protect the company. I'd just, like to, answer. I'd just like to point out that 2005 was almost 20 years ago, and that took mm-hmm. me a minute. Like, oh, yeah, 2005 that, – that, Oh, that's a long time. Oh, good lord! That's oh, the, a long the iPhone, time the iPhone, ago. The iPhone wasn't out yet, was it? No, I don't think so. Good yeah, lord! Think about that. Think about uh, that. It's. It, <laughs> hey, what do you think the? Uh, what do you think the the the, the biggest change has been uh, in terms of uh, positive and or negative for our industry, just overall? Uh, sure. Whether it's technology, whether it's a regulation, yep. Yep. whether it's something, what do you think that's yep. been? There, my view, there's four, there's four oh. big macro factors uh, that I believe uh, are driving most of the security programs out there. And I, I'm sure I'm going to probably get 8,000 emails about, Oh, you missed this or you missed that. But this is the way I think about it. And, and none of them are, huge, shocking surprises. None of them are going to surprise you. The first one is that the cyber threat landscape is getting worse. Right? No, no one's going to debate that. Right? I don't know what the, I don't know what the number is. It's, you, you see numbers from two, 20 billion to 200 billion in uh, criminal activity on the internet. You know, the numbers are big, whatever they are, and they're getting worse. Uh, and it's very organized, and you all know that. We could spend 20 minutes talking about the threat landscape, but everybody, anybody listening to this knows damn well that the threat landscape is getting worse. So that's macro issue one that drives what we're doing. Macro issue two, and 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 because of that, macro issue two, the regulators as well as customers and clients are becoming much more prescriptive about what their expectation is of a company for cybersecurity. The regulators are jumping in and saying, and you will do this and you will do that and you'll use this kind of technology and you'll respond, you'll let us know if there's an incident within four days or whatever it is. So they're becoming very prescriptive because of that. And so are the clients. Clients are even coming in and saying, you'll use this kind of encryption, you know, and you'll ensure everything's encrypted. So that's the second big factor is clients, customers, regulators all over the world. This isn't the U.S. specific are becoming much more specific, prescriptive is the, the term I use about what their expectation is. Third issue. Um, the the information, you know, the the ecosystem that we all operate in is becoming very complex. I I tend to now call it the Frankenstein ecosystem. 
There is no more, oh, I've got my moat, you know, thing happening. I'm now connected to 10,000 suppliers, you know, and we're all connected digitally and we're sharing more data. And, and so there is this spider web of the technology ecosystem that is becoming more and more complex, which adds variation into the environment and makes it more difficult and more challenging for companies and security teams to ensure that you're appropriately protecting assets and data and what have you. So that's the third big one, right? The ecosystem, technology ecosystem is becoming immensely complex, right? And then the final one is that because of that ecosystem, and, and I would argue, by the way, that this one uh, got accelerated a bit by the pandemic. The final one is that companies are either fully digitized or they're on their way to being fully digitized, right? Like uh, one of my favorite quotes is the, the world's being eaten by software because I believe it's so freaking true. I can't remember now who said the quote, but what a great quote because right? it's kind of true. Yeah, there you go. I knew you'd know that for some reason. Anyway, the point is that every company now, while this ecosystem is becoming more complex, Every company is becoming more dependent on that complex ecosystem. So it used to be, ah, two nines was probably good enough. If the system went down for a couple of hours, wasn't a big deal. We'll just make it up later and have people work a little overtime. Not anymore. You better, if you, you do anything digitally, you need four or five nines, right, of availability now. Right? You know, funny, so funny you should say that. That's Sorry, it. Get, At the end of the day, no, I'm just going to say that th th those are the four big macro factors that I believe for most companies, most large companies are driving the cybersecurity program. So I, I just I'm going to throw in because uh, that last one really, really just struck a chord because when I was at consumer, uh, your your twin on the uh, on the GE side, mm -hmm. right on the you as when you were uh, commercial. Uh, we it was a bit of a shock to the system because I came from power systems and power systems like, yeah, things sometimes broke and yeah, sometimes email didn't work for a day, but whatever. Right. Uh, the CTO at the time, I uh, can't remember Kevin, Ho uh, Kevin Hoffman, maybe his name, but he reminded us many times that, um, you know, the company can go back to pen and paper and we could just all cease to exist if we didn't play nice in the sandbox, uh, which was a little a little scary <laughs> to hear early on <laughs> in your career from somebody, um, but when I moved to uh, to, to, to the uh, financial side of the business, we were just like, oh, just reboot ever like, hey, apply the patch and reboot. And uh, John Salvo is the guy's name ran systems. He was like, no, it's like, what what do you mean no? He's like, because this mid range group that pr does all the you know card processing and all that has a downtime of like seven minutes a, a year. And mm -hmm. in my brain, early in, in I will say to 2003 to 2005, 2006, sometime in there, right? Like, what do you mean? That, can't you just reboot it whenever you want? Like, it'll be back in a couple of seconds. What, what is that? What do you mean you can't? And so, like, that was a – that um, – I mean, at the time, it was a – immovable force, unstoppable, uh, unstoppable force, immovable object kind of thing, right? Because we had to, we, we were saying you have to apply these patches, you have to do this, you have to have this kind of configuration. And systems team is going, we can't have downtime, figure it out a different way. Like that's, that's not mm -hmm. a thing. Um, and, and you're right. Like that now we're into the, but I was living in that world way back then. Now it's even, you know, with everything being online all the time, every day, 
you know, uh, yeah. What 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 company have you got that you know isn't yeah. headed towards that almost? I mean, there are some. Yeah. I'm not going to say there are none, but many many companies you know now are so dependent on that. And the other analogy I use sometimes for people is, you know, think about uh, and I don't know. I'll probably get some snide comments around this, but think about uh, flying an airline, flying an airplane, or birthing a baby. Right? Those are what you call way beyond six sigma. Right, six sigma, and and we need for them to be right because if yeah. not, we'd have a plane flying out, falling out of the sky every day, right? right. Yeah, and and so I use those as extreme of you know, kind of that's where we're headed, right? We're headed so that so we we're so dependent, becoming so dependent on technology and what we do every day that for it to fail, right, is it, that 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 window's shrinking, right? <laughs> and it's not going to be long better? before it fails. Everybody. Have we gotten better though at like the failovers and stuff like that? Like technology is better, right? Like back, Absolutely. back earlier, right? Like, yeah, I can't just reboot that system. But now, especially with containers and stuff like that, I load balance 50 systems. I just rotate through them and, you know, like one goes down, but the other 49 stay up. And I just kind of sift through that. So we don't have yep. that downtime. A- of course, absolutely. absolutely. Complexity. <laughs> yeah, right? And not no, everybody's using it. You're- to your point, though, James, right? We've definitely gotten you know a hundred times better at uh, you know availability and resiliency, if you will, right? Which is kind of how I tend to think about that. The place where, if I was going to say we're behind somewhere, I'll tell you where I'd say it is. I don't, I don't know if this is true, so this is just an opinion. It's in the software side, right? So we've gotten really good at even the infrastructure, the platform, right? At high availability, using cloud server, we're doing all these things to ensure we've got resi- resilience and avail- availability. But man, you know, a lot of the software, I pick a company. I, I don't, this isn't specific to Cigna, pick a company. You know, we, in many cases, we're still running off the software that was written 20, 30 years ago. And that software is not really built, right, for that level of resiliency and rebuilding it or re, you know, replatforming it to do that is extremely time consuming and expensive. So again, I you know, I I, I don't disagree with you. I, we're way better than we used to be, but if, if we're lagging somewhere, it's in the software space. And it's because it's not easy to 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 solve that. My my view. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma that we have around that because you know you mm-hmm. go into an organization and you see like, oh wow, you're still using, you know, Visual Basic six but it works and nobody wants to rewrite it because it's this huge app that runs the whole system. I mean, how many, how many places are still uh-huh. running COBOL, right? A or, lot. you know, yeah. that yeah. level because yeah. Yeah. yeah, we could switch it. I mean, I know a company that's going through the migration to get off of that because it's getting super expensive to scale. But then at the same time, they're trying to switch it to Java. Well, their COBOL developers don't know Java, so they got to get a different team. But the Java developers don't know COBOL, mm-hmm. so you need the COBOL team to be able to explain the requirements to the Java team, right? Like, <laughs> it's a huge deal. And you're, I mean, you're talking you're about totally the right. entire organization. I, this is the backbone to try <laughs> to, to fix that over, I, I, right? And so, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 te- I, te- I tease the development uh, group sometimes and Cigna even at GE too, because every time I would say, oh, this really needs to be redone, oh, I need two two years and ten million dollars. You know, they don't even they don't even it, it, you don't even finish the sentence. I need two years and ten million dollars. <laughs> Seems to be the common answer to rewrite then, the software. 
And they're probably yeah, right. How do, show, <laughs> how do you show the ROI for that? I mean, this is the thing yeah. security's always struggled with. You know, like we look Absolutely. at it like, hey, how do we need five years to do this? And everybody's like, well, what are we getting out of it? And it's the same <laughs> thing. Like, hey, we're going to switch from COBOL to Java because it'll be more updated. People are like, what are we getting? Are we getting more speed? Are we getting more this? Are we like, what are we getting out of that? Mm-hmm. And if it's hard to do show, we, do that we really need? Do we need that extra nine? Do we need that one more nine of availability right. that we're going to get out of it? Because that, that's kind you know, of what like it comes what, down to. What are we going to get for something that's going to take two years mm-hmm. and a team of thirty people to accomplish? <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's a really 100%. hard thing. So you know, it's understandable it that organizations get stuck on sort of that old stuff, right? Like we've written it; it works. Great. Let it be, you know, even though we know there's issues or, you know, going to be yep. issues down the road. Can I, yeah, can, I can I, can I, can uh, I point us in a slightly different direction? Cause uh, sure. that, I'm sure this is a topic that we could, I, I would love to walk down memory lane and give you, and, and uh, I've got plenty of things that I'd love to, uh, we could, we could laugh at that are still ancient and running. And boy, do I have stories from my GE days. But um, uh, so look, you, you've, you've done this for a bit. Uh, you you've learned some things. What are some of the? Give me like the, your top three like things that if James Beeson wrote a book on how to how to be an excellent CISO, what are the what are the what does it end with? What are the three pieces of advice you give people? Um, let me think about that for a second. I would say uh, I, I, th- th- three or four points I would make. Right, the first the first one is. You have to, you've got to realize that, the, and I have this conversation all the time with uh, ju- junior folks and interns and what have you. You have to realize that there are very few things that you can actually control, right? I know that's an age old tagline, but it's the truth, right? I believe that integrity and attitude are two things that you can 100% control. You can control those things, right? And integrity in our space is almost an absolute given, right? You've got to have integrity or you're not going to do well in the security space. You're just not. Uh, attitude, eh, it, it, you can control it. Easier said than done. Actually, one of my favorite books is a book by a guy named uh, uh, Jeff Keller called Attitudes Everything. Um, both of those lead to trust, right? The most important characteristic that you need to have as a CISO is trust, right? And there's no chance that you're going to do well or succeed without trust. And I believe integrity and attitude are two of the things that help you get to that point of trust, right? Uh, Another thing is, uh, the other thing you can't control is time. There's I used to say this to my kids all the time. There's 168 hours in a week. That's it. You know, you're not going to make it 169. You're not going to reduce it to 167. What you can do is you can control how you choose to spend that time. Right. Uh, and I do think that's an important thing, too, is making sure that you've got your time appropriately uh, you know, laid out so that you're making the best use of that time. Right. Uh, diversity gets the best solution. I absolutely am a firm believer that that's the case. I've watched over the years, and the more diverse team you have, different skills, different backgrounds, different cultures, different religions from different countries, the more diverse the team is, the better solution you're going to get every single time. It may make it take a little bit longer sometimes, but you're going to get a solid solution every single time, right? Uh, 
uh, you have to understand your strengths and your weaknesses if you're going to be a CISO. And guess what? You know, uh, this is I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know, but focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. Right? Focus on your strengths and go hire or bring people, surround yourself with people to help you with those things that you're not a, not as good at. You know, if you're not good at execution, you're good at the sales speak, then hire somebody that's good at execution, you know, at the end of the day, right? Uh, simple is better. That's another one that I say all the time to people. Uh, I think one of the biggest problems that some people have in the security space is they overcomplicate stuff and they use a whole lot of geek speak, as I like to call it, right? Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I don't know, I, I think it was Mark Twain or somebody is, if I'd have had more time, I'd have written a shorter novel, right? Yep. It's very difficult to get to a simple message, right? But a key to success, in my opinion, uh, especially for a CISO, as you get up there and you're talking to executive folks and you're talking to boards of directors and what have, have you, it better be simple and it better be in a language that they understand, which I tend to believe is finance. I say to people all the time, they're like, oh, I've got a CISSP and I've got a C-RISC and I've got a, you know, this, that and the other. I said, do you know anything about finance? Well, no, I know nothing about finance. Go take a finance class, right? Because I don't care if you run an ice cream stand or Cigna, guess what? The financials speak is the same. Right, you have a balance sheet and you have cash flow and you have a profit and loss statement, et cetera, et cetera. And the more you know about how to talk in those terms, the better off, better off you're going to be and you'll be able to help translate from security speak to that. Uh, so anyways, simple, simple is better. The simpler, the better. And then finally, probably you know, cur courage uh, is super important, I think, in our space. Right. You, you've got to you've got to have courage. Uh, I tell folks all the time. Anytime there's a horrible project that's just nasty and nobody wants it, raise your hand and sign up for it. Because every time you do that, you will learn a huge amount and you will also be given a lot of credit for having been the person that signed up to take the shitty job. Pardon my French. Right. So there you go. That was more than uh, three, I realized. But, that's all right. That's fantastic. I'll, I'll tell you, um, the court, I, I love the, I, I love the, uh, um, I would have, uh, I would have written less, but I didn't have enough time or, or whatever, however that's what my other favorite, the one I've been using since I think high school is brevity is the essence of wit. And that's a uh, Shakespeare. Uh, mm -hmm. So as you were talking, like, okay, this is, this has been on my bookshelf and I've, I've even bought the, yeah. the, you know, this, the new anniversary edition. Um, Love it. How to make friends and influence people is an amazing Dale Carnegie piece of writing that uh, uh, I mean, it's, 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 still worthwhile today i think we underestimate how much of what we do is uh people and personal communication because you can i've watched and, and you maybe you can validate this over and over again the s technically smartest savviest person in the room gets shot down by a bunch of people that have no idea what they're saying 100 percent Hundred hundred percent. I mean, yeah, and that's by the way, that's an awesome book. Also, a huge, uh, huge fan, and typically pass out a book to junior folks on the, uh, uh, the the uh, the. Hey, if you'd have had more, if you if you, uh, I just just lost my train of thought there. But start with the end in mind. You yeah. know, um, uh, I just lost his name in my head. I can't believe I just lost the name of the the author of of that book. Twelve. Uh. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to drive me nuts. I feel uh, bad that I can't remember it, but that's a, another fantastic book, which just talks about things like tell them what you're going to oh, tell that's, them. That's, uh, that's Stephen Covey. Them, tell them what you told them. Stephen Covey. Thank you very much. Stephen Covey. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I have that behind me too, right here somewhere. Yes. Right there. Another the book four disciplines that I, of execution. Uh, to give out. 4DX. Exactly. I love that book. I, I, I was at Optivit. They, they gave us that, uh, that away at a sales kickoff one year, uh, the 4DX book. And it's, 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 but it's really strange. You know, it, it's kind of funny. Uh, the really successful leaders, whether it's a CISO, CIO, CEO, whatever, uh, that I, that I've talked to, uh, this is why I love having these conversations because it, it, it seems to come down. If I can give you a common thread, be, whether it's, uh, my friend Patrick, who's a phenomenal CEO, yourself, uh, my friend Jim Taylor, like all these people that we've talked to on this show that are phenomenal leaders. It's it's simplicity, and it's communi- and it's communication, and it's it's this whole um, like like the whole four D four D X book. It's it's stuff that you read and you're like, yeah, but duh. Of course, you can't do 10 things at the same time. But what do we do every day? Try to do 10 things at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And so getting your brain out of this, I can do it all at the same time. Just give me 25 tasks. I'll get it done. And then you totally crater all 25 of those. Um, it, it's it's training your brain. Simple is best, 100%. Communicate clearly and concisely, 100%. And I think if, if, there's, uh, if there's anything I've picked up in the – long let's just say long time i've been in this industry and as a professional that is it that's that would be that that is great advice uh that that you know simple 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 is great and um yeah and, I, and you know we all, what, what's in, yeah what's interesting to me is if you think about the value of simple you know and, and the, you know what, what we're sitting here talking about you know what it does it helps build stronger trust, right? So, I, I mean, I keep coming back again and again to that word trust, right? Because, you know, the, the, you know, the way you really get things done is through the trust that you build. And I would make the argument, right, that that's, uh, I don't care whether you're talking about your family, your job, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and guess what? It's easier to build trust when you've communicated well and you've communicated simply so that so that i i personally am a huge believer that you know i don't know the number jim bob math here 90 percent of the failure that happens is because of a failure to communicate or crap gets lost in translation i really truly believe that the, 35 the, the years thing, in this business the other thing too like when you talk about trust and communication right when you think about trust it's building that relationship and so mm-hmm. if I can't communicate you on the levels that you relate to me with, right, if I go in there and start talking about vulnerabilities and, you know, deep down all these like exploits and all this different stuff, and that's not the world you live in, you know, we don't relate. We don't have something in common. So being able to have in that communication, you know, you said bring it down to like the financial, like everybody's got that in common at that level. If I can bring that in common, then it's going to help build that trust because like, hey, we have something in common. But otherwise, you come in with all your lead speak and, you know, it's like, wow, like, I don't know who this person is, but they don't have anything in common with me, you know, and it immediately shuts people down. And yeah, I think it is kind of an, an overlooked 
thing, right? Like, I mean, I think almost all of all of security becomes a social engineering experiment, right? It's how do we get <laughs> things done that we don't have the control to do in our, on our own, right? I can't go yeah. patch that system. I got to get you to patch it. How do I do that? You know, and it's all a sales gig. Um, so it's definitely- It, it really is. It, it really is. I used to do, a, actually at GE uh, years ago, I used to do a, a, a pitch. I probably still have the PowerPoint version somewhere. It's called, aren't we all just sales? people. That's yeah. the name of the pitch, like this 50-page pitch. And because I, I believe that's pretty much the case. And again, I don't care whether you're trying to sell your kid on why they should be doing their homework instead of playing a game, or you're trying to sell the board of directors on why you should get more money. You know, it all kind of boils down to the same thing. Uh, the one the one other note I'd, I'd make, I, you know, is uh, humil- humility, right, is another that, that would be something I would tell anybody that is an aspiring leader, right? You've got to build trust. You've got to have integrity. And you've got to be, you've got to have humility. Because I, I got to tell you, you know what I've learned? You're not as smart as you think you are. I've definitely learned uh, that I get sort of dumber every day as I find out even more stuff that I didn't know anything about. <laughs> so I tend to tell people, be humble have trust, have integrity, keep things simple, end of the day. That's, that's what I would tell folks that are aspiring to, to have a career in, in anything, frankly. I just. love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, I, I'm glad you're uh, – yeah, I'm not the only one that feels like I lose a, break, lose a step every day I'm doing, doing this, uh, <laughs> especially with all the, all the uh, new talent out there. But you know what? There's – there's a there's an essential there's an essential learning path right there's a uh, you know we, we we stand on the shoulders of giants people have done this at, before the tech was different the language the speak was different uh, you know they didn't have cloud computing in the early two thousands but you know what it, it was it was the same game it was the same game right so. Mr. Beeson, thank you so much for joining the show. This I want to you know, give you give you uh, uh, just a big thanks from the uh, folks that are listening and myself and uh, James here. Um, it has been awesome having you on the program. Uh, I'd like to get you back, assuming you, you, you figure out how to stay retired this time. Uh, sure. That sounds <laughs> get you, good. Get well, you back on. retired is just a different chapter for me. You know, probably going to do, uh, you know, a little uh, uh, advisory work and consulting work. I'm going to try to help us figure out how to deal with the still horrible problem we have of not enough people interested in cyber as a career. Right. Last I looked, there's like 700,000 open jobs in the U.S., 3 million globally. That's one of the places I want to try to help. I want to try to get more people interested in cyber as a career. That's a uh, I, I thank you. And thank you for having me. By the way, yeah, <laughs> so yeah no, no problem. And, and if you haven't though, uh, the Security Advisor Alliance. If I may pitch something, I'm a part of. Uh, that's a, it's a great place to 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 work at that problem from. Although we can, you know, obviously there's room for everybody to jump in. All right, mm-hmm. that was awesome, folks. Thank you for listening and giving us. Uh, I don't know. What was that forty-seven minutes of your time? It felt like ten minutes. Uh, we need to we need to do this more often. Uh, so I, I hope you picked some of that stuff up. I hope you took notes. Um, this is a uh, this is a great opportunity to learn some some things that you probably already suspect or you may have seen or heard. But to hear somebody that's had a well well lived career, uh, well respected, and and uh, you know somebody that's that's quietly been doing awesome things uh, to to, to uh, kind of echo it is 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 pretty cool. So thank you again for being on the show. Um, 
We'll leave it there. Folks, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, I hope you're enjoying uh, coming up on, I can't believe it, we're coming up on 600 episodes. Um, and now we've got audio and video for you guys to uh, check out our, our backgrounds, our guest back rooms. Uh, James has Mr. Bill right there. Uh, over right. your There you oh, go, no. over your shoulder. Which oh, is, no. and, and, is that Charlie Brown? Brown? That's Charlie Brown, yeah. Yeah, but you got the, right, right, right there over here. That's Mr. Bill. I yeah, see him too. Mr. Bill. I love Hello, it. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. We're done now. Really, for, for real this time. Thanks again, you guys. We'll see you guys another time, another Thank place you. on another Down to Security Rabbit Hole podcast. See you later. Cue the music. Bye-bye. This is Bella. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave my dad a review and share this with your friends. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,